0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Many of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, which is my effort to find the most interesting people in the world and sit with them for hours while I ask questions in an effort to learn. We have no advertisers on this podcast, so it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe to the show on your favorite audio platform, watch episodes on YouTube, and tell your friends and family about the podcast. My goal is to help millions learn from the world's most interesting people. So let's get into today's episode. Kevin Kelly is the senior maverick at Wired, and he is the author of a number of different best selling books on the future of technology. His latest book, Excellent Advice for a Living Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier, is a very quick read, but it is powerful, and I highly suggest you go get it. In this conversation, we talk about Kevin's optimism for the future, why he believes that technology is actually mirroring the biology of humans, and how he sees the world evolving across things like Bitcoin, blockchain, artificial intelligence, and many other areas. I really enjoyed talking to Kevin, and I hope that you guys enjoy this episode. Here is my conversation with Kevin Kelly. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, everyone. I've got Kevin here with me. I'm super excited to talk with Kevin. Uh, I thought a great place to start this conversation was around options optimism of the future. We live in a time where communication and the speed of it is at the fastest pace we've ever seen. People love to complain. They love to fearmonger. And they love to say how bad the world that we live in is. I tend to think we live in the safest, most prosperous time in human history. I know you are very optimistic about the future. Help us understand what keeps you optimistic. What are you optimistic about?
1: So I'm optimistic in general about the long term prospects of progress in our civilization. So I would say that on the average, globally, we have seen remarkable progress over time, particularly in the last couple hundred years. There are obviously parts of the world that have not enjoyed the same amount of progress, and there are pockets today that are undergoing pretty severe setbacks, like, you know, Ukraine. But in um, in general, We live longer, we're safer, we have more choices and possibilities, which is, to me, the definition of progress. And um, I'm I'm optimistic that it will continue because of history. Because if you actually look at the data, scientifically and partially, you have to acknowledge that progress has been real for people on average. And um, all the ingredients that produce that are still present. So, statistically, it's going to continue. I mean, it's possible it could stop tomorrow, but just given the fact that all of the components are still here and operating, we're going to continue to see progress. And I define it very loosely as um, our ability to create a few percent more than we destroy every year. And that compounding is the secret because that few percent delta is not really visible. It's why we, when we look around, we don't necessarily are overwhelmed by a sense of progress, just because it's buried in a small difference between all the crap that we make and all the good and so um, so for me, the source of it is 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 this understanding of the actual present, where we actually are, and where we've been, and the the statistical likelihood that we will continue in that same direction. So when people think of you,
0: if they've read your work, if they've paid attention over the last couple of decades, I think they would say you're an optimist, but also that you think very, very long term. And a great example of this is the Long Now Foundation. For those that don't know, this is an organization that is trying to reinforce the ideas of long term thinking. One of the projects that you all are doing there is the clock. Now, I did not know you were involved with this when I first came across the clock a couple of years ago, and I was fascinated, but essentially you all are building a clock in the side of a mountain with the goal of being able to tell precise, accurate time for the next 10,000 years. I believe Jeff Bezos has put a bunch of money into this. Just talk about the clock. What is going on with the clock in the side of the mountain?
1: So, so we've made several clocks and several versions of the clock, and there may be other versions. Um, the idea of the clock is to um, keep ticking for long term, and the idea there would be a, a tick every um, every year, and there would be a talk every decade, and every 100 years or centuries a little cuckoo will come out and every millennial there would be fireworks or whatever. And there was this idea of kind of like trying to force us to think about time at the long range and um it was to work as a as a mythic icon in the same way that the photograph of the whole earth really catalyzed the environmental movement i mean the, the seeing the earth from space as this little tiny blue ball you you'd understand the idea that there was no garbage you can't throw anything out everything never left it was a very fragile, um, amazingly thin membrane of atmosphere and all these other things came about from just seeing a photograph. And we wanted to do the same thing about time, of forcing people to realize, oh, oh, this is, we're we're in a very t- tiny uh, uh, period and we have a very narrow myopic view of the last five minutes and the next five minutes, but actually... Even human civilization goes back 10,000 years, and there'll be another 10,000 years in front of us, and we need to have that horizon. Because when you do have that horizon, as you're suggesting, when you take the long view, then um, it is easier to become more optimistic because um, with compounding goodness over time, it can overcome even a sizable setback, even a sizable drop in prices, even a sizable war can be overwhelmed by this compounding thing of a few percent over decades and centuries. And so, um, so that is part of the agenda, is to help us become more optimistic because when we're more, we're more optimistic, we're more likely to make the thing that we want in the future, if we can imagine it. But also, it, it also enables us to, to actually engage or start to work on things that may pay off only in future generations. We are the benefit of work and projects and things that people have done that have taken hundreds of years to reach where we are. We should be more free to begin things that don't pay off for us, that only pay off for future generations. And um, taking the long view, again, helps us enables us kind of liberates us to some degree to be able to do that
0: taking this idea of time uh, and long-term thinking you're not only thinking long-term about the future i think you also think long-term about the past and so the manual for civilization is this collection of all of the human knowledge and trying to document it so that future uh, citizens and future uh, kind of descendants are able to also understand what we know today and what we knew in the past that is a Goliath undertaking to go and find all the information He's humans brilliant. know and to document it. What's going on there, and how is that going so far
1: yeah so 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 um the the clock, as Stuart Brand and Danny Hillis first imagined it, was always going to be present with a ten thousand year library and um the clock kind of would wind down the library is something that can build up, and I always imagine it. As, as libraries, plural, that there would be a kind of a, a city or a collection of different 10,000-year libraries. And each of these would be a different view of what was important to save about human knowledge. And um, there would be a multiple set of different ideas of like taking the best of human knowledge, like if you were to have to do a backup or send, you know, a spaceship into space, what would that library look like? you know, or um, if you wanted to have something in case there was a dark age and you wanted to go through, what would be the essential vital knowledge? And I think everybody would have a different answer. So that's why there would be a whole bunch of different 10,000-year libraries. But the the point of the libraries is, um, one, there is some reason to have a backup and something, but it's mostly to help us. um, It's like self-reflection it's like um self assessment it's like um making ourselves visible to us we don't think very much about what is it that we actually do know right now what is the most important things that we know there's a the pedagogical reason like if you're to teach us and to, and to um you know uh train if were to train an ai what do we want to train the ai on okay i mean right now tra- the ai is trained on reddit is that the is that the best thing to train an AI on to answer questions? Maybe we want to train it on the manual of civilization or the best of civilization. What should that look like? And so, and, and by the way, there's going to be different answers. We're going to have different AI chat bots that were trained and educated on different, you know, curricula, different uh, courses. So, so, so that's another reason to to think about what would a library of human knowledge look like, and um, that is another project that we're kind of working on. So
0: on this idea of artificial intelligence and kind of what do you train it on, uh, in 1994, you published a book called Out of Control. And for those that haven't read the book, the general idea is uh, artificial evolution is actually where kind of the world is going. So we won't necessarily create things from scratch. They will evolve. And, And in that book, you talk about we're already kind of doing that with software and drugs in the early 90s. Fast forward to the early 2020s. And now this is, you know, very top of mind for folks. How do you think about this idea of artificial evolution with the kind of new breakthroughs of artificial intelligence? And do you still kind of believe that's the thesis and, and kind of how this is going to evolve?
1: So, yeah, in, in the early 90s, I wrote a book called Out of Control. And the, there were several themes. In it. One was this um, trying to understand decentralized distributed systems because that was kind of what the Internet was starting to do. And it's like, well, how how do they work? Um, and then, the um, how do we make them better? And part of the the realization was that oh, um, actually, um, um, there are a lot of biological systems or biological processes, like evolution, like metabolism, like the immune system, um, that could be imported into our very complicated technology, meaning that the the the, the gap between Things that we make in the natural world are not is not as large as we think. We are actually making technology as complicated as biology. The internet does, in some senses, have an immune system and it works like immune systems. So if we knew more about those immune systems and more about how the internet works, we might be able to learn something from each other because they're probably closer. And evolution was another one of that where 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 um, and this is what's happening in AI right now, where you um have something and you have inheritable changes and in variation and and um, survival and elimination and then you can improve things and 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 that that ability which is in the biological world has been imported into computers into AIs and that's one of the ways in which they get so good is they're actually internally they're breeding answers and they have one AI that makes things better another AI that kind of filters them checks them and they can learn how to play go that way they can learn how to play chess and so this was an example of 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 using the principles of evolution and importing them into machines and that continues to go on today so there's lots of aspects of of learning that are based on genetic algorithms they called and so um so so my my general thesis in the book was, was saying, look, there's um, a lot we can learn from biology to make our complicated technology work better and more, at, more suited for humans because we we're biological. And that that's going to be the general trend of technology is towards the biological.
0: One of the most popular decentralized distributed computing systems in the world today happens to be open source uh it's happened to try to serve as money bitcoin uh what are your thoughts there and are there similarities to what you saw in the early 90s with the internet are there maybe risks or things that people should be aware of that that you're not as uh kind of excited about that you were with the internet
1: so um yeah I mean I I I think um underpinning course bitcoin is is blockchain i think blockchain is just, is just a wonderfully elegant brilliant idea i've often asked people like george church and others who know about genomics whether there's any possibility that we would find um a blockchain like code inside the gene uh, because it seems so so elegant there has not been found any um, my but Currency based on blockchain, of course, that was the original um, paper, is is only one thing that blockchain can do, and I think that it's going to be very limited use. I, I, I think um, blockchain based um, currency, you know, cryptocurrency, I think has a very limited use, and that is, is because one of the one of the costs of decentralization and distribution is that it's not very efficient. That's the That was, again, the beauty of evolutionary systems is that they're incredibly powerful, but they're slow and they're inefficient. Centralization, the reason why we do centralize is that they're faster and they're more efficient. And so we're always trading off the ability of, of the decentralized distributed system is they're very adaptable, they're very robust, they're equal. They're um, incredibly, um, uh, they're great places to start. They're easy to get going, um, but they're incredibly inefficient and slow. And so, in trying to make a currency or well, other things based on that, you, we have to make those trade offs. And for, um, for many things, the, 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 the advantages of a decentralized distributed currency may not be enough. To um, for most consumers, for most of the time, for most transactions, to have at least something that's more centralized and faster and cheaper, and so there might be hybrid versions of this, and that's what people were working on. Um, but but so what I'm saying is, that I don't think, in, in my view, that so far currency is really the the really the the real app for blockchain. I think there will be other ones where you can use authentication, verification, identity, all these other things where we would tolerate the inefficiencies. we would be willing to pay that. The inefficiencies and the slowness, we don't need that kind of speed. And so um, uh, my guess is that, is that blockchain still has not found the right job, technological job.
0: Are there other technologies that people are talking about that seem to be quite popular, maybe even overhyped, uh, that you feel like haven't found the right job? Like, do, do any of them stick out outside of uh, blockchain technology for you?
1: That's a really great question. Um, think about that. Uh, yes. Um, this may be a little hard to explain, but I actually think um, quantum computing is not going to be used for computing. It's it's, it's it's very similar. It's a very, you know, you're kind of doing... It's a very uh, disperse, the the whole point of quantum computing is that you can do like uh, in parallel. You can do like millions and millions of calculations all at once. I think that quantum computing in the end is going to be used for something that we have no idea right now, no conception at all, and not for computation. There the, was the the whole quantum world is so strange and weird and mis- not understood and deep that I f- suspect that the 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 kind of work that we're doing, what we know so far about you know superposition and qubits and stuff, in the end is not actually going to be used for computing, but for doing something else in that kind of realm. Again, it, for something that comes after computing. So. Um,
0: When I I hear you talk about, whether it's quantum computing, blockchain technology, et cetera. Uh, I feel like you are taking, uh, part journalist, uh, kind of investigation (laughs) approach, right? You're, you're trying to think through the various layers and the pros and cons and that, uh, part, what I would consider, uh, futurist of like, what is the impact of this going to be? But also Mm -hmm. part, uh, what I would almost consider, uh, to be a a rationalist or a realist in in the sense Mm -hmm. of what is it uh, applicable to today? What is your process like when you come across a new idea or a new uh, technology? Is there something that's repeatable where you kind of feel like, okay, you know, I usually go Google or I go and I read this book, or how, how do you kind of work through these ideas when you first come across them?
1: Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's a really great question, and, and I think um, I, I'm not maybe as methodical as I would like to be in terms of approaching all the problems the same, going through a method. Um, but I do ask, you know, a couple of questions. You know, the 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 the, the current what's the word I want, best practices of trying to go back to first principles. Um, That requires maybe a level of, I I, I try to go in that direction, although to really go down to first principles requires a level of scientific uh, knowledge and expertise that I probably don't have the full ability to, but there is a sense of trying to go to first principles and say, like, well, if we didn't know anything, if we are starting from the beginning, if we just look at the physics, how far can we go? And, um, and so what, what does that look like? The second thing that I pay a huge amount of attention to is um the earliest little bits of evidence of what actually ha- we know and happens. Okay, so 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 I, I like to have like an evidence-based speculation. And so I'm like looking at, you know, uh Bitcoin or quantum business like, well, what actually happens? What what do we actually know versus what we're thinking? it can do what can it do right now and um so so it's kind of like the street use version of things it's the same thing with ai right now i pay a lot of attention to people how people are actually using it versus how we thought we were going to use it that was the early internet was the same thing people had all kinds of ideas about what they're going to use the internet for which was going to be like you know uh answering questions and doing banking and stuff versus like playing games. <laughs> you know what this is what they actually used it for. So so it's this kind of street use of, of trying to head to wherever there's actually some use so we can see what that looks like. And then I guess the third the third thing is is that one of the things we know about the future is it's probably going to be unreasonable. The hardest thing of thinking about is to let go of what we think it should be or what we've been told it would be is kind of forgetting what we expect and that's really really hard because we have these we bring these framings of things that we've been told for a very long time about whatever it is ai or finance or currency and we and it's that kind of unlearning or forgetting or being able to suspend what we rationally know about it and to engage the imagination of what could possibly be or the alternatives and then to kind of rehearse those so 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 it's like what we used to call brian and i used to call unthinkables where we're taking something that seems unreasonable and unthinkable and trying to inhabit it for a moment to see where it goes and most of the time it doesn't go anywhere most of the times it's kind of ridiculous or 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 perhaps preposterous or ridiculous but we try to inhabit that to play with it to see if there's something that might be there and that work of imagination is um, also important in trying to think about things and again most of the time it doesn't work most of the times it's going to be silly but occasionally like anything else you get something that actually works
0: you mentioned street use case, and uh, it made me laugh a little bit because I think back in 1990, you created the Cyberthon, and you basically brought 400 people together and had all of the virtual reality demos, uh, prototypes, et cetera, in one room and told those 400 right. people, try them all. Like, see what you right. like, what you don't like.
1: We right. now- I, was really, I was really, really irked that there were so many people who were pontificating about VR and what it was and the dangers or whatever it was who had never tried it it was like okay i'm going to make this we'll make 24 hours we'll take all the existing vr things we'll bring them together and you buy a ticket and for 24 hours you'll be able to try it and then you now you can talk about it <laughs> okay and so um uh yeah so 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 uh, i'm a big believer that the that the way we steer technology is through use and not by thinking about it there's thinkism which is it's good to think about things but we can only go so far thinking about it we actually and a lot of these new technologies the inventors don't know what they're good for the critics don't know what they're bad for we actually have to use them and get the actual data because they are so complicated that their use is going to hugely diverge from what our expectations was and so um uh you know and so so i i I think I pay attention to the early adopters and seeing what's happening and, and how they're doing it and what the problems actually are versus what we could imagine. And that's the one of the kind of things happening with A.I. is a lot of people are imagining that people could lose jobs. But they think, well, So how many artists have actually lost their job to A.I.? As far as I can tell, zero. But we can imagine it and yet we're trying to make policy based on what we imagine versus on the actual evidence.
0: What are you most excited about when it comes to artificial intelligence right now?
1: I would have to make a long list of probably about 1,500 things. And um, I would start with the fact that... um, What's the word I want? Um, You know, as far as we can so far to see, you know, minds are the most potent things in the in the universe and um in terms of being able to create more possibilities more options more choices more freedoms more forms more ways of being more life all all, all these things and and minds sort of accelerate that so, so 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 all the things that we generally are in favor of minds can produce and so now we have we're accelerating that production. We have other ways of, of accelerating those same things. And um so so we have the possibilities to accelerate goodness and to accelerate the, the best things of the universe that we know about. And that's that's a power that we've never had before. Um and so that's that's exciting. And, and then then, you know, and then the other thing is is that um One of the byproducts of 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 this is that I think we're going to learn more about how what we are and how we think and who we are from AIs trying to make them than we have ever learned for hundreds of years of neuroscience and psychology. These are going to be the way that we actually come to understand ourselves and how we work and what we who we are. So there's there's this kind of introspective, almost um, therapeutic. Um, enlightenment aspect to to the AIs. Um, And that's just just the first two.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, what's fascinating to me is as you talk about artificial evolution and kind of this idea that maybe technology is actually mirroring the human body, uh, there's an entire cohort of people who actually think the human body and technology will not be separate in the future, right? There will be some sort of melding of them together, whether it is the human computer interfaces or various other tools that, again, are imagined today. What are your thoughts on the uh, on kind of that whole field of work?
1: Yeah, so 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 um, just you know just speaking about the brain computer interface, um, I thought a workable version of that was a hundred years away, uh, but the stuff I've seen recently from you know Neuralink and beyond is is um, really surprising because it feels like we could have something in twenty five years or less, and then that would be something you could put on your head that would enable you to telepathically, so to speak, control a computer or even communicate to other beings who are also connected. And um, that uh, that's a very powerful and problematic um, technology that seems a lot closer now from what I've seen. So um, I, I think, yes, in general with the advent of, um, aesthetics and all kinds of things there will be um, the ability to have more cyborgian beings. We can also modify our own genes and you know eliminating some diseases, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's hereditary diseases taking them out of the gene line would be something that's possible. But my suspicion is that um, we're not going to have consensus on this and therefore we will see divergence meaning that I think there will be um there will be this option that not everybody's going to uh, accept or 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 you know um, take on, meaning that there will be different kinds of 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 humans where some are well the Amish never going to modify their genes or their children's. And then there's others who are immediately going to do that. And that's um I think, going to produce something that we have, have not experienced, which is actual differences between humans. Because one of the, the tenets of, the, of our modern life is that, you know, between you and me, there's almost an insignificant difference in genes. But if we start to actually create real differences, that's, that's something we have not encountered before.
0: What do you think the impact on society would be if we did that?
1: I'm 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 I haven't figured it out yet. I, I I don't know. It was um because you know right now the 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 primary counter argument to racism is that there isn't any difference. Races are really superficial. But what if there really was differences where there's us and them, you who do this with your genes tend to do these kinds of things and we who have these things and so um so i don't know so so, so i think it's a, um what's interesting is that right now this kind of 10,000 year section of, of of humanity maybe even the last 100,000 or less actually maybe 50,000 um we were the only sentient being but I, before that time there were other there were other sentient beings around us not not our species and subspecies we had encounters with neanderthals and others who were different from us. Um, they didn't last long. We don't know why, but but civilization grew up where we were the only ones, and now we're headed to make artificial aliens, other other beings. We may we may species ourselves, and we may go back to that period where we're surrounded with other kinds of beings. And um, you know, the past history was I don't know. The past history may not have been a very good, <laughs> may have a good example because they're gone. We don't know whether our ancestors killed them off or whether they just out, were outcompeted. competed. Um, so the prospect of headed into where, where we have multiple kinds of humans and other beings that are sentient, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what what, what our reaction is going to be. Um, that's That's something that I think, again, I think we have to learn our way into. I think we could think about this a lot. I'm not sure we're going to have any answers unless we actually try it.
0: What's interesting about what you're talking about here is, you know, take the computer, right? We basically had these huge mainframe computers. We eventually shrunk them into our pockets. Sure. So they kind of became closer to us. Uh, now we actually wear computers on, right? I have an Apple watch on the whole thing. And eventually people think that they will be embedded. And so you kind of continue to bring technology closer and closer and then eventually integrate it with uh, kind of the, the uh, actual core of what it means to be human. What you're talking about with the idea of potentially in the future changing genetics or, or, or modifying genetics, What we're seeing now is a whole bunch of debate. And I frankly don't care about like the culture war component of this, but, uh, with the rise of, uh, transgender and all of that, where people are changing, not necessarily from a, uh, a gene standpoint, but they are changing their bodies. And so is that kind of in line with a similar type of trend where, uh, people are, again, they're bringing it closer and closer and closer to themselves. And you're saying, Hey, the ultimate end of this journey is that people will actually change their genes. And that is what, you know, we don't yet understand how that will impact society.
1: Yes, actually, yeah the the, 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 the um so, so so the the larger again, the larger story is is that for the past even million years, um, humanity, our humanity, is something that we invented.
0: What do you mean by that?: we
1: Deliberately moved in that direction of creating ourselves. We when we domesticated uh, at herding animals and started to milk them, we quickly evolved. Human adult uh, lactose tolerance in certain populations to, 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 we changed our genes by, by inventing this idea of domesticated animals. When we domesticated fire, when we invented cooking into pots to digest food that we could not genetically digest, we had this external su- stomach. Our jaws and teeth changed over time because we became dependent on fire and cooking. Okay, and so, so we are inventing ourselves. We we are creating our humanity, and we are, in, 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 at, the, at the genetic level too, much faster than we thought. A lot, a lot of people. The the, the kind of dogma was that oh, um, evolutionary pressures were taken off by culture, and that we continued to evolve culturally, but not genetically. But we are actually finding out that that's not true. Genetically, we've actually speeded up our genetic mutation and evolution since since civilization. So we are in the process of designing and creating humans. We're much more malleable. and We're not fixed. Human nature is actually not fixed. It's actually something that is very slowly changing. And so that path, we're going to continue, and we're going to accelerate that. We're going to accelerate our own evolution. And the question, of course, is whether we continue to have a single, evolution or whether we fork and speciate and um the the uh evidence all around us is that speciation is a much more likely future because that's what's present in everywhere else in biology Um, and in by the way in technology that's what i talk about what technology wants We technologies tend to speciate and become more specialized and diverge. And so, from that perspective, that is sort of our likely thing if we to diverge, if we were to somehow retain a consensus and a uniform single species as we as we changed ourselves, that would be a really remarkable, a remarkable um, achievement, I would say and 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 i think maybe a question that we would have is like what is the chances of when we meet uh, ets on other planets what's the likelihood that there's a single species of them and what's the likelihood that there'll be multiple species of whatever it is that they're about and i would bet that there're probably multiples rather than a single one just given you know our our own history so um so yeah so i think that is the long, very, very long-term thing that we are now beginning to do, which is to um, keep inventing ourselves. And this is why AI is part of that thing. It's because um, as we try to say, well, who do we want to become? We have all these other minds that we're making. They're doing things that we thought only we could do. And now we understand we can make machines to do it. So we're kind of like, well, what do we want to do? What do we want the, the human of the future to do and to be about? What should we be? Not just kind of what are we going to be. What 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 do we choose to be? And that's a huge, I mean, this is like a huge thing that, you know, we're going to have a kind of a collective conversation about that's that's started right now, these days, which is um, if we want to become better humans, what does that look like? Is it just... Woke? Is it super woke? Is it post woke? What what does a better human look like? And we get to ask, start to, to ask and answer that question right now.
0: What is fascinating to me about this is uh, you've thought so deeply about some of these ideas, but uh, you started Wired, right? You, uh, yeah. I think, were either an advisor or helped inspire certain parts of the Matrix uh, and right. various other movies. Um, how important is media and the communication of these ideas to reinforcing or inspiring the people who actually go and build it?
1: I think it's very important. Um, you know, media is often beat up, and, and and there are several things to say. I think there's lots of uh, different kind of media. There's news where you're kind of trying to report on the latest thing. And, um, you know, that's... No matter what kind it is, no matter what the publication, no matter the political bias, it doesn't matter the best, the worst. The, the, the bias in the news is, is, is that uh, bad things happen fast. Good things happen slow. So most news is going to be around bad news. And again, it doesn't matter what brand it is or where it's coming from. That's just the bias of news. It's going to be mostly about bad things because good things take a long time. However, there's another part of media which is this kind of contextual, trying to understand things, and that's um, a very important role because um, the world of our knowledge is expanding so much that you know you you need you need other people to help explain and um, digest and help you understand the world. So you can't do it yourself, and so this this intermediate of the media. Which is going around saying, here's something that's happening that's important, um, and, here, and we'll try to explain it to you. And so, you, so we are dependent on media to kind of understand our own world. There's, there's no way we can read all the original papers ourselves. It's, it's, just, it's, it's, it's um, necessary. It's a necessary tool.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You recently published a book called Excellent Advice for Living, Wisdom I Wish I'd Known Earlier. Now, I don't know what number of book this is for you, but uh, you've published a couple and they've been quite popular. And so I thought I would just pull out two or three different examples of what's in the book that I found uh, just great advice. Uh, prototype your life. Try stuff instead of making grand plans.
1: What do you mean by yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah and this literally is something that I wished I had known earlier. It just took me a long time to kind of arrive at this. Um, there's several different things. There is the kind of the immediate version of it that if you're actually making, physically making something like making a chair or making a kitchen remodel or making, writing a book, or you're going to um, make a song, or you're going to do a startup, all these things, um, they work better if you prototype them, meaning that you iterate your way to it. So instead of like, I'm going to do a business, okay, you, you write up a five-year business plan and you, you borrow a bunch of money and you do your first hire, that's more likely to not work. If you decide, okay, I'm going to, in my spare time, make one little version of this and try it out on my friends or to get one person that I'm aiming for as a potential customer to do this and I'll see what happens. Or And and then, okay, that's really good. And then I have a couple other things. So for the next two months, I'll run this a little bit uh, longer and higher and see what happens. Um, That way you are kind of managing the failure. You want to have lots of small failures instead of having a cataclysmic failure because the 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 likelihood of most things that we do is that they don't work. That's entropy. That's that's the beauty of where we are is that is that we can only get to really great places by having failures along the way, by things that don't quite work as well. So you want to manage those by having small ones. And so um um you know, when we did a kitchen remodel, I did a prototype in cardboard, like refrigerator-level carboards where we made up the counters and everything at full scale in cardboard. We prototyped it. And we learned so much by actually having that, like, well, that needs to be a little higher. It needs to be moved over here. And so instead of building the cabinets and saying, oh, my gosh, I wish it was four inches to the side, you prototype it. You do a design. You first make a little cardboard version of it in in a the little house size to see what it is. And then you nick the full-size prototype and you keep going that way. And that also now applies to a person's life where you are, again, maybe trying to change careers. I'm, I can't tell you the number of people that I've met, young people who um, decided they want to be a lawyer. They go through the whole law school. And in the first summer after graduating and being doing actual law, they realize, I hate this. Okay. And what they should have done is prototyped it like, okay, volunteer, whatever it is, at a lawyer's office for uh, summer and see what lawyering is actually about. Then if you really, really want to do it, then proceed. So um so this idea is 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 that you iterate your way and you kind of keep learning and you keep the and you keep the 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 failures along the way that you have to have in a manageable scale and that you kind of inch towards things rather than having a grand plan and then having to, to to kind of make massive adjustments um later on
0: that makes a lot of sense and i think um you can go through history and most of the great companies most of uh the great careers that's exactly how they were built
1: another exactly. thing exactly another- starting in the garage right Absolutely.
0: Uh, Another thing you say in the book is life gets better as you replace transactions with relationships.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there is absolutely, you know, a a place for just keeping things in transactions. But, um, you know, you could get your coffee from a machine. um, But there is something about having somebody that you know, and see that knows you, that um, you have a relationship with. It's like, you know, and so um, those are expensive in a certain sense. Those are th- those are costly. But if you can invest into them, it's one of the ways we make life better. And so um, uh, it doesn't mean that all our transactions have to be relationships. It just means that the more we can shift things to having relationships, which are costly, the more we can afford that, the richer our life will be.
0: You also say, and this is the last one that I'll bring up because I think people should really go read this book. It's a very quick read, but but quite powerful. Uh, you say, speak confidently as if you are right, but listen <laughs> carefully as if you are wrong, which to me yeah. just summarizes the idea of kind of being a lifelong learner. So you said, speak confidently as if you are right, but listen carefully as if you are wrong. what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. <clears throat> In the, um, I think it was Mark Andreessen's um, AZ-16, they um, have this idea of, in their kind of discussions of um, strong opinions loosely held, it's, it's very, very similar, strong opinions loosely held. So mm-hmm. you, you want to be able to inhabit an idea with confidence in order to communicate it, in order to, again, rehearse the idea, the possibility of it. But you have to do it in a kind of a humble way, with this idea that you have to be ready to throw it out. You may be totally wrong. So it's it's I know it's kind of weirdly a humble confidence, in, in, in some ways, it's 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 a way of um, of of stating something with enough clarity that you can do with confidence, and yet being willing to to throw it away or to change your mind about it. And that, and, and it seems paradoxical, but that's actually this kind of really beautiful, um, along the surfing along the edge that, that, that you want to be.
0: One of the last questions I have for you is, um, what we're talking about right now is independent thinking, the ability to right. question your own beliefs, right? Kind of uh, all of these uh, concepts. Um, how should people instill that in their children? That's one of the questions I get all the time, right? Is how do I make my child a good decision maker? How do I teach them independent thinking? How do I teach them how to uh, synthesize information? What do you think is a good answer to that?
1: Um, it, it, it's a really great quest. you know. And, and, and um, there is something called learned optimism and, and, and in like child psychology. And this is that, that you actually can help your, you can actually teach children to be more optimistic. One of the qualities that they try to teach to, to breed optimism in children is to help them understand or learn or grasp that um, setbacks are only temporary. Mm. So, if, if it, so, so, so and, and not their identity. It's not that, well, I'm an unlucky person or um, this always happens to me or this is part of my identity. Um, no, this, that, that setbacks, again, it's kind of taking a longer view it's like elevating their view it's not about the next 5 minutes it's about the next coming years and in that sense whatever happens now whatever failure test you fail won't be important in the long term it's, it's something you can overcome and so um independent thinking and, and 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 that um you know uh i'm not sure what it is but here's what I think is one of the few skills that we should have kids graduate with. I I, I think with ChatGBT, we can see the answers become free and cheap and machines are gonna be the best thing for answers. So I don't think we want necessarily to be teaching kids how to find answers or make answers or come up with answers. I think the major skill that school should be teaching is how to learn, learning how to learn. And most importantly, each child should learn how to optimize their own way of learning. They should be very aware and cognizant and capable of applying the best learning strategy for them for all these different domains, whether it be a, a physical skill, a memory skill, a understanding skill that each person graduate being very aware of what it takes for them to optimize their own learning part of that would be critical thinking and part of that would be you know innovative thinking that would be part of that skill set of 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 learning how to learn so i so this is a shift from teaching knowledge and even teaching domain specific skills to the Uber skill of learning how to learn. And um, that would be a huge thing. And right now in my own survey, I have not found a single curriculum anywhere in the world that's actually doing that. I found one little experimental school in Austin, Texas that might be working on that, but um, they're certainly headed in that direction. But that is for me, the Curriculum that should be in our schools in the, in this century, which is teaching people how to optimize their own learning.
0: Yeah. I'm a uh, investor and a big fan of a, something called Synthesis School, which uh, was taken out of Elon Musk's uh, school at Astro, which was on the SpaceX campus. He basically hired a team and said, hey, teach my kid. And what you're getting at is exactly what he wanted, right? It was like, teach my kids actually what is going to be valuable, not just to replicate and repeat, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Yes, they need to no know math, but there's more to it than that. And so uh, there was a um, a session in that school where basically they would give uh, the students some tools, or or kind of sit them down at, at a table and say start, but they wouldn't tell them the rules. They wouldn't tell them all the right. things, right? Like just kind of like literally, got to figure it out, right? It's just kind of like life. No one sits you down and says, "Here's the rule book for life. Uh, here's what you're allowed to do. Here's what you're not allowed to do." And right, so, right, right. learning that is important. And they basically took that and tried to put it online uh, with synthesis School, and and it's going very well actually. And so, it, it's fascinating to see so many people trying to answer this question. Because also it's not just, can I learn inside of my classroom? Now with access to the internet, these kids are, they're on the global stage from day one, right? right? And so it might be even more important.
1: Right. So, so there are schools that can accelerate learning and how fast kids learn, but what I'm saying is actually a higher level. It's the meta level is learning how you optimize your own kind of learning.
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: in the future, you're going to have to learn a whole nother set of skills. And so, how do you optimize that learning of the new set of learning skills? And 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 that's kind of a higher level thing, and it requires, I think, huge amounts of teacher involvement and stuff. Where you're being tested, you're actually saying, okay, when doing memorization, what's the optimal time of sleep in between the reps? Okay, what's the, you know, am I more an audible learner or a kinetic learner? You know, or you know, and, and you're being tested, and you're working with, and you're going through a program that is kind of like, like a performance, like an athlete, Mm -hmm. you're, you're actually being measured and learning how you best learn and then how to accelerate and increase that. And then how to learn the brand new kinds of learning. And that all wants to be very, very, um, methodical. And there isn't that right now.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, your new book, Excellent Advice for Living Wisdom, I would Wish I'd Known Earlier by Kevin Kelly. If anyone has not read it, I highly suggest it. I really like, oh, look, you got one? I got one, perfect. Um, people can buy it on Amazon and everywhere else that you buy books. Uh, Kevin, where can we send people to find some of your writing or some of the things that you're still working on today outside of the book?
1: Yeah, so um, I have a website where I kind of post most things. It's my initials, kk.org, very easy. Um, we also uh, have published a free newsletter every week for six years or so uh, called Recommendo, where I recommend um, a couple things uh, each week, and it's very short. It's one it's a one page stuff that uh, stuff that I find interesting. So you can sign up for recommendo.com and get that. Um, and then I'm um, the Kevin two number two Kelly Kevin two Kelly on the socials. And these days, I'm posting one piece of art a day. Um, uh, again, trying to use these generative AIs in order to understand them.
0: I love it. My last question before I let you go I heard that you have a two story library. Yes. Uh, what, what exactly? Oh, are we going to get a, a look at it? Oh, the my is,
1: God. Amazing. There's, there's a glass uh, catwalk for the uh, underneath. There's scaffolding right now because I just. Um, built a model railway around the perimeter of it. (laughs) But um, yeah, so there it is. What was your your question?
0: Reading habits. How do you pick what books to read? How many books do you think you read a week, a month, a year? Talk about reading.
1: So um, unfortunately, a lot of my reading has shifted away from books to online articles, to papers, to YouTube. So, I, so part of my library, the lower half, is a library of how to information,
0: mm-hmm.
1: how to do things. I'm a maker. And from the Whole Earth Catalog and Cool Tools, it was about enabling people to pick up new skills and making things. That entire world has shifted away from books to YouTube. Mm. Even a lot of the science stuff is now headed to YouTube, looking at uh, talks that are recorded on YouTube and long before they make it in papers and years before they make it into a book. So um, and then podcasts too. Uh, so 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 I don't read as many new books as as I used to or spending as much time. Um, and that's that's because we were people of the book and now we're people of the screen. Um, and and so more and more of the best information is actually not arriving, it's not native to books. It's actually books are kind of the, like this very book itself, which began online first. And so um, so sorry to say, um, I don't read as many books as I used to. The Most of the books I have these days are books where there's a visual component. There's a reason to have that, Page and turn those pages. In terms of physical books, of course, I'm Kindle as well, and 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 then most of always most of the fiction that I consumed was generally audible. Mm. Uh, um, I, I I find it much easier to intake fiction when I'm being told when I'm hear hear the story. Yeah. Um, so that's my reading habits. I have a library which is. Um, I think in the future, going to be valuable because I think books are going to become more expensive over time. I think we're at the peak book time. This is the best time to make a library because books are so cheap. Used books are just almost, you can almost have them for free. And I think in the future, um, making books will be increasingly more expensive because they're going to be in smaller volumes. Yeah,
0: that makes a ton of sense. Kevin. I always appreciate uh, just learning from you. Usually it is in a, uh, a, a very one-sided way. You're putting information out into the world and I'm consuming, uh, but I appreciate you getting on this and talking about it. Uh, as I mentioned, anyone who hasn't gotten the book, please go get that. Uh, any last words you want to leave the audience with?
1: Yeah, as much as possible, um, try to spend your life working in an area where there's not a word or a name for what it is that you're doing. Don't aim to be the best of something and to be the only um if you at all can it's a lifelong it's a high bar that will take most of your life to reach but you can keep moving in that direction of um trying to be the only and not necessarily the best so onward be the only
0: i love it kevin thank you so much we'll definitely do it again in the future
1: already great thank you i really appreciate it it was fun